Catherine Osmond is the author of a new book called Grace Without God, The Search for Meaning, Purpose, and Belonging in a Secular Age. She has worked for and written for National Geographic and Boston Magazine and been published in the New York Times. She lives in Chicago with her husband and three children. Catherine, thank, uh, thank you for joining me and congratulations on the publication of this book. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I think, to correct me if I'm wrong, this whole book and this idea of looking into secular parenting, uh, maybe it started because I remember reading an article you wrote for Boston Magazine about non-religious parenting back in 2013. And I wonder if, I mean, have you been thinking about this topic and looking into it, researching it for like the better part of four years now or more? Yeah, it's been since that time. And it... I knew pretty quickly when I started writing that magazine article that it was going to become a book because right as I started research for the article, which was going to be kind of a small thing, I thought, um, the Pew published its um, alarming statistics, alarming to some, that (laughs) the religiously disaffiliated had grown at that point to, I think it was 20 percent of the population. It's now up close to 25. So that happened pretty quickly. And so it was really right as I was researching the book that those numbers came out. And I it went from a small story to a national story in my mind. This is happening um, in every state and in every region of the country. And I thought, okay, I'll write this article and then let's see if we can make a, a book out of this. And it, it turned out that there seemed a real hunger as I started talking to more people about it. Well, it is an interesting phenomenon because usually, at least when I began writing and talking about atheism, there weren't that many resources. I mean, there's a reason like 10 years ago, the books about atheism were about God, Mm -hmm. Uh, because what else were you going to talk about with atheists? And now it seems like if Richard Dawkins published, you know, The God Delusion 2, it wouldn't really go anywhere because, okay, I get it. We're atheists now. Now what? And so now there's reason to talk about, okay, now what? How do you raise your kids? How do you deal with all the situations of living, you know, day to day without God? Um, so what has happened? Like, what's, what is the discussion going on about secular parenting, especially in the past few years? Because I don't know if a lot of us have a blueprint for how it ought to be done. Most of our parents, I would guess, raised us religiously and with those religious rituals. So... What are we learning about people who grow up without religion and are raising kids without religion? Yeah, so it's so interesting that you make this connection that the first thing people gave up was God because people who study religion, um, sociologists of religion, they look at three components of religiosity, belief, behavior, and belonging. And they find that people often give up the belief first, but they continue the behavior and the belonging. And then those other things start to slip away because it's harder to maintain. I mean, if you're truly practicing religion in the way that you know some religions require, it's a lot of time and effort. And so if you no longer are motivated by your belief in God to do that, it's the behavior starts to slip. And then you you kind of leave the community and you, you look for other things. So I think that's really interesting you bring that up because I think that may be some of what we're seeing is that there maybe have been a lot of people who've left the belief and just now are starting to look around and say, oh, okay, I kind of miss having rituals in my life. Right. And I really wish I had a community of like-minded people who shared my values. And so that is what I I cover most of in my book, is that sort of upwelling of interest in such things and really 
really creative endeavors to form new sources of all those things religion once gave people. It's interesting. This is something I've talked about a lot in person with people, which is that having the right arguments to, to convince people God doesn't exist and, and knowing all the rebuttals to the you know Christian, Christian apologists, that's not enough. There's a lot of people, and, and I know we've seen billboards about this too, there are a lot of people who attend church on a regular basis who don't believe anything the pastor is saying, but they go because this is their social network. This is how they belong to a community like you're saying. And so if we want to convince people to really walk away from religion, you know, it's easy to convince them that God doesn't exist. But if we have nothing in its place to handle all these big events in your life, they're not going to leave. I mean, we got to provide something in its place, whether it's, you know, organized or formal or not. And have we done a better job? And when I say we, not just atheists, but secular community, a large non-religious people, have we gotten better at providing, you know, replacements for religious rituals and, and, you know, community? Well, I'm somewhat new to this landscape because I think I've been a secular humanist all my life, but I didn't know it. (laughs) And so I had never tried to link into one of these communities until I really started reporting this book three years ago. Um, my sense from talking to people is that that is really changing. I mean, the number of secular organizations on college campuses, for example, has exploded in the past five years. Um, and groups like the Harvard Humanist that I write about in, in the book and Sunday Assembly, these are all new energetic groups. Now, we've always had things like ethical culture and even, you know, Unitarian Universalist churches. Some of these places have provided outlets for people for a long time. So it's not like this is completely new. But my understanding from talking to people is that um, trying to bring in families and trying to do sort of, um, you know, rich, some rituals, maybe a coming of age ritual for kids instead of a bar mitzvah. Uh, my understanding is that is what's new and kind of exciting and trying to meet the needs of parents like me. So two questions about that. First is, is that working? Is it actually drawing in a lot of parents? Because I imagine a lot of people are probably rolling their eyes at that idea and just saying, yeah. I, I don't need any of that. I left religion because I wanted to get away from the rituals. Why would I want to bring that in? <laughs> so let me let yeah. me start there. Is that actually happening? Like what percent do we know of people who are nuns and have no religious affiliation actually belong to some sort of secular church, however you want to call that? I think that number is extremely small. And yeah. um, I tried to find that number. There's not even numbers <laughs> on that because no one has really specifically looked at that number. Um, and yes, I think part of being non-religious is is you probably aren't a joiner. You probably don't want to join yeah. things. You'd be, rather be left alone. Um, and so I think what happens within this, you know, 25% of the, the country that's now describes themselves as non-religious is you've got so many variations. And, and some, you know, some people are spiritual but not religious. Some people are atheist, agnostic. Um, you have all these different variations. And it's not like they're all flocking to one place and, right. and forming a new community. It's a little like herding cats. Yeah. Um, you know, secular people also value debate and discussion. And whereas, you know, more conservative religions want people to follow in line and um, listen to authority. So it's not an easy project. Um, and I talked with Bob Putnam, who wrote the book Bowling Alone and also American Grace about religion in America. And he's really, you know, one of the top experts. And I said, what do you think about 
groups like the Harvard Humanists and other humanist communities, are they going to are they going to be the answer to this change? And he said, you know, we're not going to know for 300 years. <laughs> so, so that's the, second the, that's the we'll best answer I got. And, yeah. I, and I think it was honest and I was glad he was honest about it. Did you notice anything different about the the sort of secular churches, the Unitarian churches, ethical, cultural, ethical society type of places that have been around for a while are kind of religious in name, but they really do have a, a they cater to atheists as well mm-hmm. versus groups like Harvard Humanists, the Sunday Assembly that are new and specifically catering to atheists mm-hmm. and not the rest of the nuns per se. That's a good question. I mean, the, the Unitarian Universalist churches I visited felt very religious to me. I mean, it felt like church. Um, it is church, <laughs> and uh, and so that's almost a separate entity. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to describe uh, the difference. I would say that the Sunday Assembly and some of these secular humanist groups that are just starting out, they have a fresh feeling to them because they are really starting from scratch. I mean. The Harvard Humanists went from being this tiny little room on a third floor of a random building when I first met them. And three years later, it's this really nice um, uh, office space in Harvard Square that's got multiple offices and nice carpeting. And, you know, and so it's really happening before our very eyes. And I think that there is a freshness to that because they are creating it anew every day. Um, and, you know, there's something I think that people might not like about that, too. If they, you know, if there are people who are looking for something that feels like a long standing religious or community of the equivalent of one, then they might like to go into the ethical culture or, you know, something like that, where it feels like it's got deep roots and right. that the institution has been there for a long time. I wonder, and I also wonder how much the groups like Harvard, and there is a there are a few of them like that, I wonder how much those are anomalies. Just because, yeah, they're good at fundraising. They have good leadership that can bring in money that allows them to expand and provide these programs. But I know a lot of, you know, uh, Sunday Assembly groups that started with a lot of good intentions and then just kind of faded away after a few months. And I imagine that happens all, not specific to that group, but like I'm sure that happens all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's a lot like atheist groups in general. Like you have a good leader, you're good for a little while, that person leaves, everything falls apart. <laughs> and I think that's what Bob Putnam was getting at. I yeah. mean, we really, religion has been at it for so long that the ones that are here are so good at what they oh, do. Yeah. They're like the survival of the fittest. They are <laughs> really well-evolved organisms. Yeah. Um, and these groups now, so now we see the secular groups forming. I guess we'll see which ones survive, right? Which ones find sort of that secret sauce that really makes it last and, and draws people in. And again, you're dealing with people who may not want to be drawn in. Right. So you've got to find the people. And I, I think oftentimes it is parents. I can hear a lot of parents saying, I wish I had a community for my kids or a ritual. Um, so I think that's a, a good group to tap. But I, I do think it's a real challenge. So, okay. So how do you actually talk to your kids? You have three kids. Mm-hmm. How old are they? They are 13, 10, and 6. Okay. So they're at the age where they're talking and thinking about religion, w- whether it's from you or from their friends or something. What do you think is the best way to talk to them about religion if you're not raising them religious per se? 
Yeah, so I, I, you know, one thing about this book that became clear to me, I interviewed Phil Zuckerman, the secular mm-hmm. studies professor um, from who's in out in California, and he's he's just great on this topic. Awesome. And I called him and I said, you know what, I don't know what to say to my kids. <laughs> I don't want to proselytize my secularism <laughs> because right. that seems wrong. Um, but they have all these questions and they want to know what I believe. And sometimes I'm not even sure what I believe. And he's like, just embrace it. Embrace what you believe, but say, you guys don't have to believe this. It's up to you. I thought that was really good advice. Um, you know, Dale McGowan, who writes about parenting beyond belief, his his book that's really everyone cites as a great parenting book for people raising non-religious kids, um, says a lot of the same things. Um, you know, we don't talk ill of religion in our family. In fact, we do some religious holidays and and they have religious friends that, you know, we talk about what they believe and why they do what they do. And so it's become a really um, interesting discussion in our household since I took on this project. Because I think it was this white elephant in the room <laughs> that I didn't want to talk about because I I didn't really know what I believed. And so going through the process of writing this book helped me articulate my values. And um, it was really important to me as a parent that they know that and that they know that if they end up believing something else, that's great and fine with me. And actually, I'll feel like I succeeded if they do. Because <laughs> they're taking their own path. Exactly. Right. So when you talk about religion, and maybe not even you, but other secular families, how what's the proper way, do you think, to talk about other religions? Is it to say, eh, this is what those other people... I mean, you have to have some value judgment on it. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. just you believe it or you don't, but like... Do you say this is what Christians believe and this is a fairy tale or do you, you know, just say this is what some people believe, whether you like it or not, it'll it'll be up to you whenever you're old enough and you decide whatever you want. You know, I try to work. I used to be a teacher. And yeah. so I try to work with um, the philosophy of, of constructive knowledge and critical thinking and sort of help them walk through the logic of it, you know. So I'll say, well, you know, some people think this happens. What do you think? And how would that happen? You know, and sort of get them to figure it out. Again, not to be, I would never really want to say point blank to my kids that is a fairy tale <laughs> because it doesn't call on them to do any thinking at all. Um, it's just telling, you know, it's just doing the same thing. We don't like (laughs) when religious people tell us what to believe. I would really want to walk them through. And I do, um, how does that make sense? And do you think that makes sense? And I think by doing that, um, they will, you know, come to a, a much stronger way of, of thinking through these huge issues. Richard Dawkins famously said in The God Delusion that, you know, when you put a religious label on a child who's not old enough mm-hmm. to ask those questions and think about it, it's tantamount to a kind of child abuse. Mm-hmm. Is, is he making a fair point there? Yeah, I've read that and I've thought about that a lot. I just kind of, I, I guess it depends. I mean, so my kids are being raised, you know, they would probably label themselves you know, liberal, like <laughs> lefty, um, I don't know. I don't know if they'd call themselves secular humanists. They don't quite know that word. But, you know, every family raises their kids to some degree. The kids are getting their family's values. Um, you know, I guess the label is maybe a little bit different, but I think my kids have labels too. They're just not as widely understood they may be a little bit more vague um you know and i think it it depends on what the religion is doing i think some 
some religions are really healthy and some religious experience are extremely good for kids and they feel really connected to, to the, the people they grow up with. I met one mom who raised her kid, her two boys by herself. And she said, if she hadn't had her church, she couldn't have done it. And the boys have loved it. They've done all kinds of volunteer activities and, and things like that. And I don't see that as child abuse. You know, I feel like that was a really meaningful experience for that family. So I I have a hard time with these blanket statements about religion. (laughs) I I think there are as many experiences as there are people. Sure. So is your book an explanation of what the nuns are doing with regards to religious parenting? Or is it more of a prescription for what we ought to do? Yeah, I try not to be prescriptive. Um, At the end, I do present a letter to my children where I list the 10 things that I value and believe. And of course, it's for them to take it or leave it. Um, Give a lot of resources for people at the end of the book. But what I'm really trying to do is show, not tell. (laughs) And so I'm exploring the secular landscape as it is today and talking about all the things that religion once gave and still gives many people and how we might get at some of those things without it. And then I present examples. And really my hope is that I'm asking more questions than I'm giving answers and that readers will, again, construct their own meaning from that. And maybe they'll read that and think, oh, you know, I don't really agree with that. But, you know, when I'm asking myself that question, how would I answer it? So it's really um, more of a narrative nonfiction piece of work. Okay. You you spent some time working for National Geographic and you worked with a lot of writers who are, you know, talking about all these experiences across the world. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that gives you more of a perspective than most on how, you know, people outside of the United States, they're not raising their kids in the same way we are with the same religious rituals we are accustomed to. And their kids turn out fine, I assume. <laughs> like, do you have more perspective because you spent so much time looking at all these different cultures and how they're all doing these things? Yeah, you know, I think one of the great things about National Geographic is its openness to whatever the world is showing us and just to kind of take photographs of that and write about that without judgment. Um, And I think I fit in really well there um, because it was more of... um, Yeah, an exploration of what different cultures do, uh, whether that's, you know, religious or not, and um, a a description for people to take in and make meaning of how they will. Um, It's it's a great magazine. and, And I guess one of the things I learned that I hope shows in the book is that everyone I worked with would go, you know, literally and figuratively to the ends of the earth to get it right. It was just a wonderful place where people took great pride in their work and great pride in doing a good job. Um, You know, one of my values of hard work. And so I think that maybe that shows through in the book. And also, yeah, that sort of roving journalistic take where I'm just going to go around and I'm going to showcase these things. And and I will tie it together. It's not like I'm I'm not interpreting what I'm seeing or giving my feedback on it. But um, I want to show this whole patchwork quilt and and see what people make of it. Who came up with the title for your book? You know, it's interesting because my magazine article was called Losing Our Religion. And mm-hmm. that was what I pitched the book as. And we had a subtitle that was something like finding this, that, or 
the other and grace without God. And it was at the end. It was like, you know how they say you bury your lead. <laughs> and uh, a friend of mine said, why is that at the end there? That is really <laughs> the most powerful part. Let's pull it up and put it um, front and center. And it, once it popped into place, I thought, well, of course, that works really well. So what does that mean? A secular grace? How do we have grace without God? Yeah. So one of my arguments in the book is that so much of profound human experience has been couched in religious terminology just because religion has been dominant for so long and that it's time to sort of reclaim some of those ideas. I think the experience of grace, this this upwelling of gratitude, of awe, of excitement about being alive is um, one that everyone shares. And it doesn't have to do with God or religion. And if we could just peel that layer off, we can talk about it as a common human experience. Fair enough. Have you gotten any pushback for that word at all? If it's too touchy-feely or something like that? No, not yet. I mean, the book doesn't come out (laughs) quite yet. (laughs) But uh, maybe once it does, I will. But people really like it. And when I I talk to people, and again, I'm talking to people, you know, in my day-to-day life, like me, who are disaffected from religion, they're not necessarily, they were raised religiously, they weren't raised as atheists. So a lot of what I'm talking about um, in this book are people that are no longer religious, but they don't hold anything against religion in particular. And when I say the title, it seems to resonate with people. Sure. People seem to want to understand how they can have that, it kind of own that experience again, because, you know, they feel like they had to leave it behind. Um, and a lot of, you know, these profound human experiences, we think, oh, we can only have that here in church. And it's just not true. So whether it's a book you write or a book you would really like to read, what are the next steps? Like, what would you love to know more about regarding secular parenting? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, I think that, you know, toward the end of the book, I start to get more into life's meaning and purpose. And what I found with my own kids is if I can get them to tie into a feeling of something larger than themselves, um, a change kind of comes over them. And it, these days, parenting is so intense it's so exhausting and it's so competitive and kids are competitive and you know if I could find a way and I try this and you know the book research inspired me to do this as much as I can but really to implement a way that we're sort of getting out of that rat race more often and really figuring out what makes our lives meaningful Um, for my kids it's often doing some kind of volunteer work or something out in nature. And so connecting with other parents. I mean, you know, if we could start a movement (laughs) with this book, that would be wonderful to get people to really come together and say, hey, how do we how do we come back together as a community instead of being in our individual pods all the time? (laughs) What would you like the reaction to be from people who read this? What would be the ideal response? You know, I hope it'll energize them. I hope it'll give them hope. I hope they will feel that they are not alone and that these issues are human issues that so many of us are grappling with and that it's up to them to take matters into their own hands if they are feeling a need. And I'm not saying everyone is by any means, but if they are feeling some longing, um, think about, you know, there are ways things you can do and these groups that are, are growing are really showing us 
how you can be really creative and, and do some great things and, and touch a lot of people's lives and connect with people. Well, I hope that happens. It's definitely an important topic. Uh, as I said, this is one that we have to start thinking about because for so many of us who grew up and became atheists, uh, we've a lot for a lot of us, and I count myself in the bunch, I, I get it. Like, you don't need to convince me God doesn't exist. But now I'm dealing with just different issues in life, and parenting is one of the big ones. So that's yes. <laughs> Great. I'm sure there's a lot of people in that boat as well. So the book is called Grace Without God, The Search for Meaning, Purpose, and Belonging in a Secular Age. We'll have links to the book and everything else in the show notes. Thank you so much, Catherine Osmond. Thank you so much for having me.